Uh, today, what I'd like to do is is maybe not take the full hour that we have. We'll we'll have some time for you know back and forth and discussion if you'd like. But what I would really like to do is to um, to reflect with you uh, on what the title of the, the class says. One question that has been transformative in my life over the last uh, year or so. And I'd like to ground that in a reading of God's Word. And then I'd like to just share with you one of the ways that uh, I've experienced the power of this, this question in my own life. And, and I'll say up front, this is one of those things, what, the, the question itself, I know there's, there's a little bit of a teaser there even in the title, you know. But uh, the question itself is, once I state it, there's high probability that you'll think kind of like, well, okay, duh, you know, yeah, right, I'm kind of like, really? That, but, but what I want to do is I want to take what is a fairly simple question and then, and then try to take that deep and to look at it from, from, again, the angle of the text. But I hope to also share with you the, the ways in which my life has been reoriented toward the kingdom of God and his purposes as a result of this question. So I'd like to begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll just we'll dive right in. Okay? Let's bow together. Father in heaven, God, you're good. And for that, we give thanks this morning. We give thanks for your enduring love, Father, expressed to us so beautifully in the person of your son, Jesus, God. Lord, over these next few moments, I just pray that you would make yourself present that you would minister to us as we practice this spiritual discipline of awareness, God, that we in turn might be more present to those who are around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, uh, so I'm, a, I'm a minister. I've served in full-time ministry for nearly 20 years. And uh, inevitably, over the course of that, that 20 years of ministry, uh, I'll get questions. People will say things to me. People will make statements that, uh, that sort of stick with you. And lately, over the last, I don't know, five years or so, I've had one statement that's come up more often than not. And people will say this to me almost as kind of a preamble before they get to the, the point, they'll stop me in the hallway and they'll have something they'll want to say or they'll call or they'll want to come by and visit and maybe they have marital problems or maybe they're struggling with some sort of sin or maybe they just have some sort of family tension they need to they need help working through. But inevitably they will, they will kind of preface all that by saying, I know you're really busy, but... And then they'll go on. Does that happen to anybody else? So, and when, it, when that happens, it just, as a, as a minister, I think it would bother me no matter what I did for a living, but especially given that I want so much to be available and present to people. When someone says that to me, it just sort of, like, I wince, you know? Because I think, do I, do I put off some sort of vibe of, of busyness? And I'll be honest with you, uh, I am busy, you know? Yes. I'm not saying any more busy than you are, but I'm, I'm busy. There, there are things that I have going on, but, but I don't want you to know that. <laughs> I, I don't, as, as the minister at your church, I don't want you to know how busy I am. And I sure don't want to put off the vibe of like, hey, I've got so much going on that I don't have time to talk to you. I've got to get back to studying Deuteronomy, you know, because I don't have time for you. I, I don't want to do that. 
Barbara Brown Taylor writes that busyness is one of the ways that we measure our worth in this culture. I think there's a lot of truth to that. No matter what you do for a living, no matter your faith orientation, we are a busy people, right? And yet, when it comes to practicing ministry, when it comes to serving others, when it comes to following in the footsteps of Jesus, how do we table that? How do we not put off that vibe of being so busy? There's a little pamphlet written by a guy named Charles Hummel, I think 20 years ago, maybe longer. Uh, and you don't even have to read it to get the point. All you need to do is hear the title and you get it, right? And it's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And I think that is a beautiful description of where many of us live. We live at the kind of the, the tyrannical impulse of the urgent. We go from one urgent thing to the next on our to-do list. We go from one urgent thing to the next when it comes to our families. And that inevitably kind of works its way into the church. But what I've found is, uh, is, is through, a, to me, a revelation from God's Word. I found, I found a, a question that helps orient everything and put it in its, in its kind of its proper place. And for me, it even helps me bring my blood pressure down so that I'm not putting off this vibe of busyness that apparently I must be putting off or else people wouldn't always be saying to me, I know you're busy, but... Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, in the King James Version. How many King James versions have you heard this week? The King James Version of Ephesians 5, 16 says... Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So it wasn't too long ago our church began studying uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we were really focusing in on spiritual maturity. Uh, we wanted to, to seek a more thoroughly grounded walk with Jesus. And so our, our, our real point of emphasis, uh, our anchor point was Ephesians 3.17, where Paul talks about how we are rooted and grounded in love. And so we had this idea, we, we want to put down deep roots in this text. We want to put down deep roots in the love of God and the word of God. And, and if we're rooted and grounded there, then inevitably, what happens? Well, when, when, when those roots run deep, Things begin to grow. When the roots run deep, you, you get healthy, right? When, the, when we are rooted deeply in the love of God, then love for others will just be kind of a natural byproduct. So all of those things we, we spend some time focusing on. And, and you know, needless to say, whenever you, you open yourself up to God's word, especially over the course of an entire year as a church family, he's going to show up and do something. I, I remember the Sunday we told you know, the church, hey, so for the next 12 months, we are going to just be studying and walking through the book of Ephesians. And everybody was kind of waiting for the next part of that sentence, like the book of Ephesians and, you know, what else, right? Because six chapters, how, long, how many verses, how long is that going to take you? People were kind of like, that's all we're going to do? And, and our response to that was twofold. Like, one, well, yeah, like, what's the rush? You know, once we finish Ephesians, we're going to have to find something else to study. You know, it's like, what are we in such a hurry for, number one? But, uh, but also, why not try to take this conversation to, the, to a deep level? And let's just saturate ourselves in this text and in this word for a year. So we did. 
And again, when you do that, God's going to show up, right? And so from that text and from the study, there emerged this simple question that has really helped me um, enormously, and it's rooted there in Ephesians 5, 16. And the question is just this, okay? It helps me to, to put into practice the spiritual discipline of uh, awareness and the spiritual discipline of, of presence. And like I said, it's one of those questions that when we kind of put it out there, you're probably going to think, okay, really? But here it is. The question is, what is the most important thing I will do today? That's it. <laughs> what is the most important thing I will do today? Reading Ephesians 5, in particular verse 16, in that King James language, which is way more like regal and poetic than, than the other translations on this one, at least, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The question that's formed out of that for me is what is the most important thing I will do today? So in Ephesians, let's talk about Ephesians just for a minute, okay? Uh, with great regularity, what Paul does is he contrasts our former way of life with our present reality in the kingdom of God. In fact, he talks about it almost as if he's describing two different landscapes, the contours of one versus the contours of the other. I, we spent all week in Malibu, Frankly, I wasn't expecting, you know, 50 and 60 degree weather, but I'll take it, you know. Beautiful sunshine, these mountains. I'm going to go back to the Tennessee Valley where it's pollen season. And as of yesterday, it was 89 degrees and high humidity, and we have storm clouds coming in, and I just hope our plane lands tonight, right? But as you describe those two contours in the landscapes and the field, that's what Paul does in Ephesians. So with great regularity, he's kind of going back and forth. And he's saying, hey, this is where you used to live. In this, in this realm of decay and death, but now, now you are alive in Christ. And he begins by talking about this realm of the Messiah, what it means to be in Jesus, in Christ, in the Messiah. So he says, in Christ, you are saints. That's your identity. And in Christ, you are redeemed. And in Christ, you have been sealed with the Spirit. And in Christ, you are forgiven. And just over and over. Some 12 times in the first couple of verses, Paul just can't, can't say enough about what it means to be in Christ. And, and his language just sorts of, sort of flows through there. If you've studied Ephesians 1, you know like the grammar uh, professors would hate it because it's just this run-on sentence that Paul is just falling over himself trying to talk about what it means to be in Christ, like a, a river just spilling over its banks. He's so excited to describe the realm that we find ourselves in, this place of being in the Messiah. He does this repeatedly throughout Ephesians. So by the time you get to Ephesians 5, he's, he's contrasted this old identity and this new identity. And the heart of, of the teaching here and where we are in Ephesians 5, the heart of it, you could summarize it this way. How could you return to your old and wicked ways? You are now a new creation in Christ. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 5. And that's, that's kind of the point of verses 15 and 16. Most of our translations, it reads this way. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. According to Paul, according to you know, this, this, this witness, this testimony about what the realm of Christ, being in Christ, looks like. What he says is that wisdom is demonstrated by living authentically as, 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 as a follower of Jesus. 
living out of that, this new identity that we've been given. And so he says here that we can't go back to that old expired identity, no more so than we would want to go back to that old realm of death and decay that we have come out of instead. We recognize that we are citizens of a new realm. And tucked in this teaching, there's this little nugget that's really, really instructive. And Paul says, make the most of the time. And again, King James reading, a little more regal, a little more poetic, certainly echoes of theology. How could you not like it when he says, redeem the time, right? And that sticks with me. After studying through Ephesians for a whole year, you know, you look back and okay, what are the takeaways? And I have a couple. Redeeming the time, that's one. And as I try to reflect on what exactly that meant, what does it mean to make the most of the time? I, I come back to my experience week in, week out, trying to trying to help others, trying to listen, trying to just be a ministering presence, and, and that statement, it's still just sort of like a sucker punch. Hey, look, I know you're really busy, you know, doing preacher things. Uh, I know you have to get back to studying Nahum, okay? But my marriage is really struggling, and could you maybe, you know, throw me a line or two? Could you carve out some time, maybe possibly to talk to me about my addiction to pornography? Like, yeah, you got anything? Maybe just kind of like the Reader's Digest version on how I can overcome substance abuse. I mean, just, you know, I, I know you're busy. Maybe you could text me a verse, you know? I look at that and say, what are we doing? <laughs> how, how do we redeem the time that God gives us with, with the people who are around us? And shouldn't, uh, shouldn't a redeemed identity yield a more redemptive perspective, even when it comes to the way we manage our time? I don't know, I don't know the way it works in, in your church, in, in ours. You know, people have... Um, People seem to have more money than they have time. Yes. Right? Uh, if we need, if there's, there's a crisis, it's tornado season in North Alabama, so uh, we're always mindful of, you know, some disaster uh, crisis potentiality this time of year. Uh, storms hit or people going through, trying to raise money to buy Bibles in foreign countries. You know, we pass the hat in our church, and people are so generous. You know, how much do you need? And, 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 they'll, and they'll give. And so, uh, please don't hear this as a critique of that at all. It's such a, such a good, good thing, you know. But, but you lay that alongside asking for a little bit of time. Hey, we have a school right down the road, and there's some, some students there who are struggling. And what we really need is we need after-school tutors. We need people to commit to one hour on Tuesday afternoon from 3.30 to 4.30 p.m., could you help? And that's like pulling teeth. You know? So we understand that time is our most precious commodity. And what I appreciate is that the Word of God kind of acknowledges this and says, live with a redemptive perspective when it comes to your time. The wise person seizes every opportunity, every morsel of time, seizes it with redemptive expectation. I think the only way to do that is with tremendous uh, intentionality, right? The older I get, 
issues of intentionality and awareness become so, so key. I think it's because we're trying to raise kids. My wife and I have three children. Uh, their ages are 13, 13, and 10. So we have twins. Uh, we have a 13-year-old son. We have a 13-year-old daughter. And uh, pray for us. Okay? <laughs> um, we, we deal with all of the... No, they're great. They're great kids. But look, what we deal with right now, so rarely do we come across something where they're doing something and they had no idea that was wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we're past that stage. Oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do X. I mean, that doesn't fly. Right? Instead, what we're trying to do now is to be consistent in raising them. And what we're trying to do now is, is to cultivate within them an awareness, not just of the do's and don'ts, but the deeper sense of morality that undergirds all that. A kingdom vision of God's goodness that is demonstrated through this kind of life. That's the real challenge, cultivating that sort of awareness in them. Because let's face it, we struggle with the same kind of awareness too. Absolutely. Right? So, all this, you know, redeeming the time and reading through Ephesians and all of this, I walk away from that with this one question kind of formed in my mind. What is the most important thing I will do today? How will I redeem the time that God has given me? How can I live with great redemptive intentionality and purpose in these few moments that God has given me, wherever it is that he might lead me? Uh, because, again, we're all busy, right? Yes. But the word is still there. So I found that by asking myself, you know, this question, I'm able to prioritize things from a kingdom perspective. I've realized that the things that usually stress me out the most aren't kingdom related. The things that stress me out the most usually have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. They have everything to do with my personal to-do list. Now, if you're a to-do list person like me, I'll be the first to say, there is so much good that comes in my life from the to-do list. I get a just sick level of joy in crossing the little thing off the to-do list, either check mark or sometimes if I'm really feeling it, just you know, mark it out completely, right? Like there is something fulfilling and satisfying and purposeful about that, and that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying is, though, most of the times the thing that stressed me out about that had nothing to do with kingdom purposes has nothing to do with the people who I've interacted with that day who did not know Jesus. I ought to be stressed about that, right? Or the, the, the opportunities that I list to embody the best of what I believe about faith, hope, and love, about loving God and loving others, about discipleship in Jesus. You know? So I want to be stressed out about the things that God is stressed out about, you know? And I don't want to, I don't want to live in the tyranny of the urgent, because that blinds me to the opportunities that God, I think, puts in front of me every single day. I've also learned this, that by asking myself this question, uh, I'm, open more, I'm more open than ever to the redemptive possibilities that seem to be ever-present. At least once I have the eyes to see them. Okay. So when I go through my day with this kind of awareness of asking what is the most important thing that I will do today, it helps me practice the spiritual discipline of awareness. It gives me kingdom eyes to see. Because, again, we have to reorient what we mean by important. Right? The most important thing I will do today is to live on mission for God. The most important thing I will do today is to embody my love for God and a love for my neighbor. The most important thing I will do today is, is bear witness to the kingship of Jesus 
Okay. But without that, it's so easy for me to default into wake up, look at my to-do list, and roll from there. Um, so what, what I've done is I've started using this as a counter when someone goes down that whole trail of, uh, I know you're really busy, but um, what I'll say in response to that, I'll try to look them squarely in the eye. I'll try to say to them, spending time with you is the most important thing I will do today. And you will not believe I mean, there's nothing heroic about it, okay? You know, this is not like, hey, be like me. I'm just saying, <laughs> because I struggle with this, but when I, when I take the time to, to say that to the flesh and blood hurting person across from me, you know, hey, you, you don't have to say that. Spending time with you is the most important thing I will do today. And then almost always it brings tears to their eyes because they weren't expecting someone to be so present. They weren't expecting somebody to table all the other stuff that they've got going on and to just be there. I used to be really bad about this. When the other person was talking, I would do that thing that almost all of us do, and that's I'm thinking about what I'm going to say when they shut up. Yeah. You ever do that? Yes. <laughs> or if you ever have somebody do that to you, you're kind of like, man, you weren't even listening. Like, you were so fast with that answer. You didn't. And so people will stop, and I'll just keep listening. And then I've had people tell me, like, I'm done now. <laughs> like you could talk, and, and I, I just go ahead and tell them, like, hey, look, I, you just have to know, I'm, I'm trying to get better. I used to be really bad at not even fully listening to everything that you said because I was working up my answer. So you might have to give me a second to work out an answer because I just wanted to be present and listen. And I think that does more good than any kind of pastoral wisdom that I might have been able to impart anyway. Because they walk away remembering, they walk away feeling as if I was present. And it's that whole thing of they may not remember what you say, but people will always remember what? The way you made them feel. That's our call. Right? So what is the most important thing I will do today? That question helps me to put into practice those disciplines of awareness and presence. That's all I want to say. I want to, I want to wrap up just by telling you this, this little uh, Little story. There's a lot of things, I, a lot of, lot of, um, a lot of applications of this. I guess I could, could kind of share with you um, since I've been living with this question. But uh, I think this one kind of illustrates it maybe best. So, uh, so not long ago, I had breakfast with some guys from our church um, at a local restaurant, and we were meeting there about some ministry-related stuff. I was the last one to pay, so I'm walking in the parking lot. Heading back to my truck, and uh, and I was approached in the parking lot by um, by an African American man who walked up, and you could tell from his appearance that he was homeless. He had the um, tattered T-shirt. He had jeans that were just caked in dirt. He had a week old beard, you know, covering his cheeks and his chin. He had the deep wrinkles um, on his forehead and his eyes, and and you know, in a, in a spot like that, public place, especially in this part of town, you know, immediate reaction to most people, your defenses are raised. You know, just not exactly sure, um, you know, what's going on. And honestly, just to, you know, this breakfast had gone longer than I had, had allocated. Wasn't exactly sure that uh, I was going to be able to make it back to my office for the next meeting that I had. So I was already kind of living with that internal sort of, you know, the meter is running on my time already. 
And so honestly, the temptation for me was to, and we all have these moments, right? The temptation was to pretend like I didn't see him. And to keep walking toward the truck and just get in uh, and go. Because I didn't have time to hear his story. In my mind, like, I don't have time to, you know, to deal with all this. Hey, I'm not proud of that. That's, that's kind of my initial knee-jerk uh, sort of reaction. But all of this, you know, God's word, right? <laughs> all of this, you know, redeeming the time. What is the most important thing you'll do today? It's kind of rolling around my mind. So, so I thought, okay, most important thing I'll do today, I, I'm going to interact. So I turn and I look him full in the face. And, hey, excuse me, sir. And I wasn't expecting this question. He said, do you know where I can buy a... You know where I could buy cell phone batteries? I said, what? See, I'm, I'm looking for a new battery for my cell phone. I'm wondering if you could tell me where I could buy those. In my head, I'm thinking, I have no idea. <laughs> where do you buy? Like, when my cell phone needs a new battery, I go buy a new one. Because that's the perspective of privilege that I've had. So I had to stumble. I was like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, don't, I don't really know. I have a feeling that you know some of these stores on this block, if you keep going, I have a feeling you'll find a place. They go, oh, well, thank you very much. And he turned and walked away. And there's this moment where I was kind of like, okay, I did it, right? I, I, I mean, I tried, right? It was the most important thing I will do today. I engaged him. All he wanted to know is where I could get my cell phone batteries, and I pointed in the right direction. So, win for King Jesus, right? I get to go get in the truck and go to my... And then, immediately, the question. And the question, what is the most important thing you'll do today? And the answer, in that moment, just didn't seem very satisfying. Right? Lord, I redeemed the time. I looked at him and I told him, didn't know where to buy cell phone batteries. So, um, so I thought, you know, what's a better answer to that? What will I do today that is more important than showing this man generosity and hospitality, respecting his personhood? So his back was already turned to me, he was walking away, and I was like, um, hey, sir. He turns around. So, have you had breakfast yet? He said, well, no, sir, I, I haven't. I said, well, do you like bacon and eggs? Because this place has great bacon and eggs. Like, I eat here all the time. He said, well, that sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. So we walk inside. Uh, because this is a place that I, I eat, you know, quite a bit, um, I knew I could go in there and get him fed. But, again, lest you think that this is some sort of, like, hero story on my part, it's really not. Because uh, I should probably tell you my intention was just to go in and pay for a meal for him, and then go back out and get in my truck. <laughs> my intention was like, I just, I'm gonna pay for him, but I do have some stuff that I really need to get to, and I was just here for like an hour and a half, and I don't wanna sit here again, so, um, so I figured I could go and order him a to-go plate and pay for it, and then go, because after all, right, the man's on a, on a mission, he's trying to find cell phone batteries, you know, that's what I'm thinking I might be dead. So, um, I guess it kind of felt like that would be enough to sort of assuage this feeling that was that was still, you know, going on inside of me. So I thought I'd found the answer. The most important thing I'll do today is to buy this man a meal. 
A to-go meal, but still, a meal. So I walk back inside, I come to the counter, and the little girl behind the counter, you know, she's just seen me, I, like I just paid five minutes ago. And so I walk back in, she's got this big grin, oh, did you forget something? I mean, it's Alabama, okay, so, honey, did you forget something? Oh, we're glad to see you back here, are you hungry again? <laughs> you know, it's this whole cut up, you know, sort of deal. And, um, and so she walks in, she's got this flash of recognition as I, as I walk in, and I, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I just, I need to place a to-go order for my friend here. I'd like to pay for it if I could, and if you could serve him, that would be fantastic, and I, I really need to go. And she looked behind me, she saw this gentleman, and that's when her countenance just sort of fell. Yeah. Uh... And the smile on her face faded. And it was like we were we were now entering into a different level of discourse, okay. And uh, this is verbatim what she said. I have a really good memory when it comes to stuff like this. I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, but these kinds of things I can remember. She says, "We can do the to-go order, but you need to tell him that he can't eat here on our property." I was like, "He's right here," you know. She's not talking to him. You need to tell him he can't eat here. That's when I noticed all the eyes in the restaurant were on us. Uh, mostly white folks. Mostly uh, middle to upper class. There's a reason I eat there. You know, These people are just like me. But I'm looking at them, and, and over their, their plates of eggs and sausage and biscuits, there's just such a mixture of fear and revulsion, and you don't belong here. And I realized that as a white, middle-class, educated male, I can't remember a time in my life when people ever looked at me that way. Right. Just saying. This is my experience as a southern-bred, you know, southern boy. I've never had people look at me like that. And I thought, for my new friend, he, get, he, he gets looks like that all the time. Mm-hmm. And all it took was my proximity to him to receive those same kinds of looks. And her words rang in my ears again. You need to tell him that he can't eat here on our property. She's just reciting a line, I know. But that's revealing. Because she represented the room. Manager. She represented... The man, she represented the privilege. I guess this is my story, so take it for what it's worth. But what, I've replayed those words over and over, and it's, you know, what I hear when I hear that now is, you know, we'll, we'll take your money, but we'll not honor his personhood. We'll give him a plate of food, but he can't eat here on our campus. And we'll not have it. And so that's when it hit me. The answer to the question had had changed. Buying this man a meal is not the most important thing I will do today. The most important thing I will do with him today is to share a table with him. Uh Uh-oh. So I looked her in the eye and I said, you know, ma'am, I've got to change of plans. Uh, I need a table for two. 
please. And she <laughs> kind of was shocked, but she got two menus and walked us over to uh, the counter, the bar. We sat down there, and I'm telling you, with all the defiance I could muster, I stared down every single one of those people who were eyeballing us until they finally meekly looked back to their platefuls of, of sausage and eggs, and I was, you know, I grabbed a menu, and I tossed it to my buddy, and I was like, you read that, you get whatever you want, like, I'm on watch right now, they're not going to get to you through me, you know, and again, I'm a minister, but I was trying to put my mean face on to say, like, no, you don't look at him this way. You get whatever you want to eat. I'm going to stand guard here. So I tossed him a menu. And what he said next broke my heart. He said, I'm not really good at making out letters sometimes. Do you mind reading the menu to me? I remember reading when I was four. So the answer changed again. I thought, the most important thing I'm going to do today is read this man this menu. So we read the whole thing. <laughs> I told him everything that was on the menu. Um, what he, uh, he decided, he settled on scrambled eggs and bacon and hash browns and grits and orange soda. <laughs> Back home, we call it orange Coke, all right? Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and so we sat down there, and we talked. And I learned about his life. Um, turns out we both grew up in Tennessee. Um, we both lost dear loved ones. Talked about that a little bit. Talked about our children. He told me about his wife. He even talked about our faith in Jesus. And uh, he told me about the time that he stood up in front of his church as a child and confessed the good name and they went out back to the little creek where they baptized him and he's been following the Lord ever since and I heard uh, the answer the most important thing I'll do today is share table with this brother so we finished up Walked out in the parking lot. He thanked me profusely. Uh, we were done. He shook my hand. I could feel the calluses, those long fingernails that were overdue for a, a trim. Uh, and before he uh, he resumed his quest to find his cell phone batteries, uh, the answer to my question came to me one more time. The most important thing I'll do today is learn this brother's name. Oh. His name is Robert. You see how easy it is to just miss those who are around us. And even in my roller coaster of anger at the way he was being looked at, to heartbreak at his inability to read well, to the hospitality he showed me at the table by sharing his story with me, even in all of that, to, to, to miss just the simple, look, I didn't even know the man's name until we finished up. That's redeeming the time. That's the lesson that God is teaching me. That's the answer to the question, 
that I find myself continuing to ask over and over. It's almost become like a breath prayer for me. Lord, what is the most important thing I'll do today? And what I hear him continuing to say back in response, and what I see modeled in the way of Jesus, is to look at the personhood, to look at the, the women and the men who are right in front of us all the time, and to see them for what they are. Creations made in the very image of God. If we can do that. That's the most important thing any of us will do today and every day. May God be glorified in our efforts to redeem the time he's given us. Let me close us out with a word of prayer again. Father God, you are good. Again, your love endures forever. Father, may you bless us as your people as we seek to live more redemptively, as we seek to live on mission for you. Lord God, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. And even perhaps, God, as we as we utter these words to you, as this becomes a, a breath prayer possibly for us, what is the most important thing I will do today, Father? I, I'm just praying that when those words are on our lips, that some, somehow, some way, that they would, they would also lead to our eyes being opened and our ears as well, Father. Lord, help us to see people the way that Jesus sees people. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Questions? Yeah, that'd be great. Yes, ma'am. I want to say just take one day at a time and make it a masterpiece. There you go. One day at a time. I, I bet you I bet you have some stories to tell about putting that into practice. <laughs> yeah, that's very very insightful. Really? Congratulations. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Uh, yes, ma'am. You can't buy time, and if you really evaluate the word of busy, it's very understatement. Busy. I got you. Yeah, yeah. That's helpful. Yes, ma'am. Um, one of the things that as you're, as you're talking, I kind of think about, I'm friends with a lot of folks who are about 10 years younger than me. You know, 35. <coughs> so I didn't grow up having a cell phone when I was... Well, yeah. And it amazes me how many times we can sit down, be spending time with someone that we care about, that we love, and they're constantly looking at their phone. Yeah. Um, or I'll be looking at mine. I try to always make sure I put mine away yeah. or turn it over so I can't see it. Yeah. And I think sometimes to shut down that busyness, the first thing we need to do, because I mean, if you look around this room, almost every single person has an iPad. Yeah. A phone, yeah. a smartwatch, a device of some kind, some yeah. way that people can can the world can get in and get your attention. I think it's so important because when people are saying, "I know you're busy, but," yeah. it's because we have been trained not to bother people, yeah. and we have been trained that whatever comes across that phone, that email, yeah. is more important than that person in front of us because. That must be important. That phone call has to be urgent. Yes, that's right. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the culture we find ourselves living in. Uh, Sherry Turkle is an author who's written a lot about this, and she has a book called Reclaiming Conversation in the Digital Age or something like that. But Reclaiming Conversation, and she talks about this phenomenon. She says, she interviews like, uh, I guess at the time, this young lady may have been 20, we'll say. 
and uh, she's out shopping with another friend, and her boyfriend breaks up with her via text message. It's like the worst, right? And so uh, this friend is present with this young lady who's going through this heartbreak, and she's trying to like console her. Hey, you know, let's talk. You want to go get some ice cream? How about we shop some more? You know, all these things. It, and it's like her friend doesn't even acknowledge the fact that she's there because she's so busy texting and interfacing with her friends in the digital realm. And the, the, the friend has this realization that she shares with Turkle. She says, I would have been more useful to my friend if I was not physically present. But instead, if I was part of her digital community she was reaching out to. What kind of people are we becoming then? when we experience reality so much through the screen rather than in the flesh. And think about the implications of the incarnation. The fact that Jesus Christ comes in flesh, embodied, born, bleeds, dies, and rises. And touches lepers. And touches and, touches and feeds and, you know. There's something that we are at a very, very deep level that we are missing in our culture today. That's a great comment. Yeah, yes sir. So what if you need an area on the other side? I mean, you, you, you may have been at an appointment you had to miss, you know, maybe they, you figure, well, they, they, they'll be okay, I can meet them later, or whatever. Um, but if people, like CEOs of companies are very busy. You know, they can't stop for every homeless person. If you've got important meetings with six different people in the afternoon, your, your whole business will flounder if you don't do it. Mm -hmm. You could run around talking, getting the stories from every homeless person in downtown San Diego and be, and be, and be there all day. Absolutely. Still, still have more time. Absolutely. So yeah. if you're on the other side, you should not have a good sense of time and boom, 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 get it done yes. at different times. That's you know, right. That's I don't want to on the other side stream either. You try to overreact to one and then fall on the other. Piece. Right. You're right. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I think for our purposes here, yeah. I think most of us probably live with that sense of discerning, okay, this is work. I've got to go to work. I have to pay the bills. I have to do this, yeah. right? Um, but if, if we can move the uh, if we can move the chains a little bit, yeah. we use a football analogy. If we can kind of err a little more on this side of being aware of those who are around us, mm -hmm. okay? Then I think we will we'll begin to see those redemptive possibilities and opportunities. Or or, or schedule more buffer time in between our appointments. So we yeah, exactly. Or you know maybe less social media time. Oh, hey. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So this is this is not to say let's neglect other issues that are equally vital and important to our lives, right? I, I, you think you'd have a hard time arguing? Hey, neglect your family right. to go and serve here. No, but but having the eyes to see the redemptive opportunities around us all the time is where I really want to lean in. Yeah. Which requires discernment. Yes, ma'am. Oh yeah. It's, it's the it's the choice to take priority. That's right. There's always plenty of time yes. to waste. That's right. Well and again, we're kind of free forming here, you know, but as as you're talking, what I think of is uh, <laughs> preach uh, preaching to a local church family on Father's Day is kind of a difficult challenge. Um because there are a lot of great men in the scriptures. A lot of great women too. I'm just talking about Father's Day. There are a lot of great men in the scripture. I struggle to find many great fathers. You go through like the Rolodex of greatest hits, heroes of faith, men, and uh, for every Abraham Isaac relationship, 
I'll go all in with Ishmael, who probably didn't think his dad was so great. Isaac may not have either, for that matter, you know, the whole <laughs> Genesis 22. Um, you, so so my, my point in saying all that is um, I, think, I think many times we sort of have to choose. Do I want to be a great person in my field, in my line of work, you know? Is that ambition kind of priority number one, or would I rather be a great dad? That's what I live with, you know? So again, there are different ways to apply that, but balance is key, back to the point we just made a minute ago. Okay, discernment is key, certainly, right? All good points. Yes, ma'am? You just touched on the buffer comment. I think of life with margins. You know, in Ruth, when she's gleaning from the food they don't harvest, they leave a little bit for others. So not always being in a hurry can help. Leaving and getting and forbid to church 10 minutes early instead of 10 minutes late. Right. You have time. You have a margin getting to that meeting 15 minutes early so you're not running red lights and flipping people off because you're in a hurry. That's right. can just make your life better. Even uh, if you aren't interacting with people, yeah. you'll be nicer when you get to wherever you're getting. Yeah. So I like living with little margins. You might not have to take as much blood pressure medicine if right. you live with more margin, right? <laughs> or you get a 15 minutes early and you, just, you walk in and you talk to, to Robert and you have 15 minutes for him before you start your meeting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's been noted we're more connected than ever before, yet we feel more alone, isolated. more isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, social isolation and uh, loneliness. The, the um, Surgeon General has said that uh, isolation and loneliness are a greater threat to your health than obesity. Oh, wow. And, and we just heard 15 days, 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Earlier this year, the British Prime Minister appointed a new government uh, office. Did you hear this? Minister of Loneliness? Ooh. Or mi- Minister for Loneliness. Wow. Come up with governmental strategies to address this phenomenon that they estimate impacts up to 9 million people in the UK. Oh, government will save it, right? Government, government will save us? Government will save us. Oh, right? or, or maybe we should try the church. <laughs> it proves that there is a problem and that we're made for something more. Yeah. Appreciate your comments. Thank you for being here. Hope you have a great rest of your time here at Pepperdine. All right? Thank you, guys.